Blog Talk Radio. Breaking news, very sad news. Maya Angelou has died. Two independent sources are telling our Wanda Stark that she died. Winston-Salem police also tell our crews outside of her home that they are treating this as a death investigation. So what have you been able to find out? As soon as we got the news, we raced over here to Dr. Maya Angelou's home, which is directly behind me, to um, my right, your left. It's a very large yellow home. And investigators out here on the scene basically confirming for us this evening this afternoon that they are treating this as a death investigation. Some people are trying to get down this road. I did recognize her gardener and someone that is also with her every single day. One of her basically caretakers that's always helping her as she travels throughout the day and basically she dropped to the ground as soon as she was trying to come down here. If anyone's trying to make their way into this area, it's not going to happen. They're basically holding everyone off from coming down Dr. Maya Angelou's street because they really want to push everyone back out of respect for the family. We're also told that a lot of family members don't even know at this hour. But uh, again, as I said earlier, we do have confirmation from several sources, folks, if you're just joining us, that Dr. Maya Angelou has passed away. As soon as we get more information and possibly family members or friends that may be able to come out and give us more information, we will be first on the air and online with that. An added note, we also, behind us, we do have a, an ambulance, but we also saw that a hearse actually pulled into the driveway out here. Very, very sad news. A, a national, international treasure has passed away. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened, arisen, uh, somehow made our ablution, seen other human beings, and said, Morning, how are you? Find things in you. It's amazing. Wherever that abides in the human being, there is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll arise. Does my sassiness affect you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like suns and like moons, with the certainty of tides. Just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. <laughs> As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I'll rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh, does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. 
a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, naturally, there I go rising. Good evening, everyone. This is Tavy, the host of The Real Report. I want to thank everybody for joining us this afternoon. Um, if you are listening online, I would like you to call 347-857-4487, and I would like for you to press option 1. All the recording of today's show will be sent over to the family. We do have the host of Spoken Revelations on, which is Mr. Dion Ballas, who is an author and a poet as well. And we do have Toy Honey, who is an author, a poet, and spoken word artist, who was actually on our show the other day. We have both of them joining us right now. Hello, how are you guys? Hey, how you doing? Dion Toy. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm fine. Um, this is a very devastating news. Uh, yeah. I looked up to Miss uh, Maya Angelou very much, so I'm a little taken back as it hasn't hit me fully yet. Like, I don't want to okay. actually process it and say, okay, this is really happening. Um, and I'm sure many in America and, and, and worldwide um, people are doing. You right? Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was the still I rise I just played. Uh, why don't you guys? Um, well, I asked you, Toy, because I remember on the show the other day, um, she was one of your inspirations. So, do you remember mm-hmm. the first time you actually heard that poem, "Still I Rise"? Oh wow! It um, uh, it had been so long, but uh, first time I heard it, you know, I be honest, um, I was young and um really didn't know what I mean, what the poem meant, the uh, the expression behind it. But um, I knew it was powerful, deliverance, how she delivered it. But as I got older and I read it and I went through what I went through in my life, I understood every line of that poem. Yes. Dion, do you remember the first time you heard that poem? Yeah, the first time I heard that poem uh, was in school, and um, it was in the library, and um, my teacher played it, and uh, she was saying a lot of uh, Maya Angelou stuff, and and uh, it was just devastating to me. And I understood it in a way that was so poetically where it was like the delivery that she was putting in those words, and it really just it just it just froze me to a point I'm like how can a person deliver like you seem like there were there were words but it, it was like it was something that was just driving in my soul and, and I, I just and then and just like so later on I kinda of grasped more the meaning of the poem but it's just the her delivery of the poem was just amazing to me. Yes, yes. I remember the first time I heard it was actually from my great grandmother. Which I actually had the honor of meeting this my Angela. I was 
16. It was like a week before I had turned 17, and we were doing an event down south. Um, a lot of people down south who were there, people who knew how my great-grandmother was, that all that we had did, we had a thing we called a clubhouse down there, and it was a place where all the youth could go to to keep them out of trouble or keep them to get them something to do. And, you know, it was like a our recreation center, so to say. And once a year, we would hold a event, a fundraising event, to get money up for the the clubhouse to keep things going. And um, there were so many kids there who were wanting to read and write and be poets and, you know, uh, do stuff of that nature. So um, a couple of our family members got together. And at the time, I didn't really know. I mean, I knew who Maya was, Maya Angela, but I wasn't really into it like that. I wasn't really so much. I was more about my photography. I wasn't really into the poetry aspect yet. So it was a... they all got together, and they was like, oh, she's coming. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And when she got there, the way she greeted everybody, she was just so humbled. And she couldn't believe that it was me and my great-grandmother um, running this whole event for me to be so young and to do it. And she was just so remarkably nice. And she actually said that poem along with many other poems. She had um, actually read it, and that was the first time I actually heard those poems. So it was an honor to meet her. I wish that um, I couldn't. I'm going to have it up on Facebook. If you go through my Facebook, um, like my older pictures, like back when I first got Facebook, you'll see the pictures of us together. I'm going to repost everything in some video footage or anything um, of that event we had. But it was remarkable that that's actually something that she uh, read there. It was very heartbreaking. At the time, like I said, um, so I didn't really take it in and understand the words behind it. Um it wasn't until I really got into poetry and understanding myself. And um, she actually has a poem where she, or, or she speaks about finding your voice. That's when I find my voice and, and really finding my words. That's when I really understood a lot of her poetry between her and Langston Hughes and everybody. So um, I know that you guys have some poems and, and different things. So I, I let Toy go first, you know, Lady first. So... So you can go ahead and read um, some of the stuff or, or say some of the things you want to say. Um, yeah, um, I have this piece I wrote. It's in tribute to her. It's, uh, it's called uh, Tribute to an Angel. You were and still are a phenomenal woman. I learned from you how to be bold and expressive. How being a single mother shouldn't deter me from pursuing my artistry, because you didn't. Traveled the world and wrote with so much knowledge and wisdom. I dreamed of having the chance to shake your hand and listen to you speak about life and hear your wise opinion on the youth of today, like you did in Poetic Justice. Your strength and beautiful spirit is deeply admired. I, along with so many other artists, will use that piece of greatness in our art and carry on that legacy that you gave birth to so long ago. I will celebrate your life, even though I'm sad that your soul no longer lives. From this day forth, my pen will always remember a poetic angel named Maya and Paul. That's beautiful. 
That is beyond beautiful. Um, very deep and amazing. Um, Dion, do you have or, or Toy, do you have any other things you want to say right now um, in regards to Miss Maya Angel before we let Dion read his? Uh, oh, uh, all like I mean everything I wanted to say about her, I put in that piece, but um, it's still hard to believe that she's gone. Yeah, it's, it, the poem seems like you gave your all into that, like you summarize your emotions. It, it's, I think everybody is still hard to take it in, um, just like with Michael Jackson and any great person or Whitney Houston, any of the greats, it's very hard to take it in that they're gone because you don't see them, like especially someone of her caliber, someone who's lived for so long and so wise and, and so remarkable. It's hard to believe that she's back home now, you know, like, I just can't take it in. At moments, I found myself saying, okay, she's not going. It's, she's still at home chilling out and, you know, writing and stuff and having some probably, someone probably tweet for her. She's telling them what to write for her or whatnot, and that's how I look at it, and it's kind of hard to take it in, like, okay, no, we're not going to hear these words anymore. Her legacy's going to live on forever. And ever is never going to go away, especially to her son and and grandchildren and everybody. But to have her not physically be there anymore, it's a lot to take in. Yes, it it really is. Dion, I'm gonna let you go ahead and read yours and say anything you want to say. Yeah, um, this piece here is a piece I wrote for her. Um, for her birthday um, two years ago, and um, she actually read it, and um, and it, I'm, I'm just gonna um, perform that, and then I, I wrote another piece that I wrote for her today, but um, you know it just reminds me of you know how warm she was and how she was, she was inviting to new poets and to read their work. So this uh, this is called the most beautiful life, the most beautiful life. Tribute to a queen reign with just qualities. Blessed words to add to her decree, who only wanted what God wanted her to be. Celebration of triumph, capabilities she wrote in pain's sake, revealing beauty of life that's marked by words. Comprised of heavenly architecture, scars and blemishes are many times hidden. Her makeup unravels her gorgeous decor. Through your words, you showed us there's so much more. The most attractive anatomy is our core our universal center, as we allow your awesome spirit to enter our minds and lives in peace. The most beautiful life, tribute to Maya Angelou. Oh, that was beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Thank you. So you have a second piece you want to read now? Or actually, we can get into your second piece of your mind after we take a break. I just want to play okay. um, a couple more of her forms. Um, the first one was Stella and Still I Rise. Um, I'm going to play I Am Human, and this is by my angel. If I think of my life as a class and what I've really learned, I've learned a few things. First, I'm, I'm aware that I'm a child of God. It's such a 
an amazing understanding to think that the it which made fleas and mountains and rivers and stars made me. What I pray for is humility, to know that there is something greater than I. Then I have to know that the brute, the bigot, and the batterer are all children of God, whether they know it or not. And I'm supposed to treat them accordingly. And, and it's hard, and I blow it all the time. Mongrel class of people! I'd like everybody to think of a statement by Terence. The statement is, I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. If you can internalize the least portion of that, you will never be able to say of, a, of an act, a criminal act, or I couldn't do that. No matter how heinous the crime, if a human being did it, you have to say, I have in me all the components that are in her or in him. I intend to use my energies constructively as opposed to destructively. If you can do that about the negative, just think what you can do about the positive. If a human being dreams a great dream, dares to love somebody, if a human being dares to be Martin King or Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Malcolm X, if a human being dares to be bigger than the condition into which she or he was born, it means so can you. And so you can try to stretch, stretch, stretch yourself. So you can internalize a homo sum. I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. That's one thing I'm learning. I don't know anyone who understands the power of words more than Maya Angelou. I've been in her home at a party, and someone telling a homophobic joke or making fun of someone in a derogatory way, and watched her invite them to leave or stop them in mid-sentence and say, not in my house, you won't. Words are things, I'm convinced. You must be careful about the words you use or the words you allow to be used in your house. In the Old Testament, we are told in Genesis that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. That's in Genesis. Words are things. You must be careful. Careful about calling people out of their names, using racial pejoratives and sexual pejoratives and all that ignorance. Don't do that. Someday we'll be able to measure the power of words. I think they are things. I think they get on the walls. They get in your wallpaper, they get in your rugs, in your upholstery, in your clothes, and finally into you. 
<clears throat> you are live back on WBMC Radio, The Real Report. This is Tavy. Um, I do have special guests, uh, Arthur and Cohen, spoken word artist, Toy Honey with me, and I do have spoken word relations host on WBMC Network, um, Dion Bell. And earlier, they did read two of their poems that they dedicated and tribute to Miss Dr. Maria Angelo. Um, I want to thank them for that. And you guys still with me? Yeah, we still here. Okay. <clears throat> so we just yeah. played uh, I Am Human. Okay, we just played I Am Human, and I played Power of Words. Um, she was on Oprah a lot. And, you know, Oprah is very much into, um, I would say, the, I guess the correct way to put it is very much into spiritual and, and, and not so much spiritual, but great human beings, right. very deep compassion and, and, and powerful, that's the word to put in, very powerful people um, in their mindset. They might not be powerful in the fact that might not be a, a president or a king or queen or something like that, but she is with them as well. But she also could find the greatness in people's souls. So um, she was on, Maya was on uh, Oprah quite a bit, and um, that's where I played an excerpt from that with Power of Words. Um, how do you feel, uh, either one of you feel free to answer, but how do you guys feel about Maya's speech and the power of the words? Do you agree with her, and how do you think that that poem she had said had changed um, today? Do you even think it's changed people at all? Or if you did think it's changed, how has it changed? Um, well, I think basically uh, that was so true about power words, but words have a lot of power. Um, if they didn't have any power, I don't think we would be celebrating one powerful lady who was very good at what what she do with her words, and, um, and they have a lot of power. Um, I think Maya really um, challenged us as in thinking as as an artist's uh, point of view, uh, which where we should be at in in our artistry. Is we doing it for ourselves, or we are doing it for everyone to hear or see or or feel it? You know. And um, and if we are doing it because oh, we're trying to change the world, then we have to make sure that our words coincide with that. You know, I can't say I want to change the world, and I'm saying basically derogatory things about the world, like you know, saying like you know, if you if you believe in your child, you say, well, you know, um, sweetheart, you can do it, you can do that, but you can't say, well, you you're stupid, you're dumb, you're, you're never going to do it, but you you're trying to. Or bring success upon that child. So words are very powerful. Uh, so I agree with uh, Maya and everything about that. Love it. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I agree very much. Um, like I said, I, I feel like she made people and, and challenged people to think outside the box a lot mm-hmm. and not to think only that it's about people's words, it's just about the actions she made you feel your your words are your actions sometimes. I, I yeah. think that's um I think that's the best way to put it. Um and that that words are very powerful and they hold a lot. So yeah. sometimes it can be just words and sometimes those just words can really 
hurt someone and it leads into action. Because you could say something just like you guys have the anti-bullying and, and um, you know, no more bullying and no more suicide campaigns going on, which is a great thing. Um, but like she was saying in, in that uh, excerpt with the power of the words, um, Oprah said somebody was going to call somebody outside their name or, or talk about them, whether they're a straight person, a gay person, black, white, doesn't matter. You don't bring any um, disrespect to anyone or, or say anything harm, harmful to anyone at all. So um, I think she made people understand that the words hold a lot and in, in that sense. Toy, what are your thoughts on that? I um, agree with what um, Dion says. Um, but uh, as far as if it has made any people change, I would say it made a little change in some people. Everybody else is still doing the same thing. Yeah. Now, I agree with that as well. Um, it changed a little bit, but there there are quite a few who do do the same thing. I, I remember seeing <clears throat> after she had talked with Tupac, I don't know if you remember that, that she had actually had to sit down and talk with Tupac, and he was sitting there flipping out and cursing and, and going on and on and on when they was doing the, um, the poetic justice. Uh-huh. So she had to talk with yeah, him and actually changed his mindset. Um, to calm him down, and she just had a, a simple talk with him, just number words, and and help him understand that you got to change your whole mindset of, of thinking and stuff. So, I think that to this day, there's a lot of rappers or rock groups or whoever, any true artist that can always refer back to her and refer back to anything that she has written or said, because not everything was documented on paper. So she said a lot of things also that a lot of people. You can go back and there's a problem with something, you'll be like, oh, remember what Amaya said this, or remember she said that. And I think it's starting to help people. Not only her, you know, there's a, a couple of other people in the world that um, made a chain of Dr. King and, and a couple of other people. Um, <clears throat> but it definitely, it, I think it's definitely starting to change. Like you said, it's not everyone because it's not going to change overnight, but I do see the change there. So I think that's a good thing. All right, we're going to get into, um, excuse me, I thought it was all messed up with allergies, but we're going to get into some more. We're going to get into actually uh, some more of her poems and do a couple of them, and then we'll be back on. And then, Dion, you'll be ready to share the poems, your next poem that you have for her. Okay. All right, be back after this break. This is WBNC Radio. We do encourage everybody to call in. If you're listening online, please call 347-857-4487. We do wish that you uh, don't be afraid and press option one to uh, speak with us and tell us your thoughts and and how she has changed your life and, um, you know, how she's impacted your life from the first time you heard her up until now and and how you wish that she would impact uh, the future generations, which I'm going to get into that right after we come back from this break and hear Dion's poem. So this is WBMC Radio. In 2000, when you were 72, I interviewed you for the magazine, and I asked you 
if you considered yourself wise? And at the time you answered, well, I'm in route. That's true. And how would you answer that now? I'm Amy? in route. You're still I'm in route. I'm further along than yeah. I was. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm still in route. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I know enough. I know I know a lot, and I'm grateful for that. I know I know enough to try to to live what I know. Mm-hmm. Now that's a lot. Well, that's a lot. But I still don't have it all. What do you think that you, Maya Angelou, everybody who quotes you and I quote you and then they quote me to you and all, what do you think is the best piece of advice you've given? Well, hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm thinking that the best advice I've ever given, I hope, was that which I gave to my son when he was growing up. He said, I don't have any friends. How can I get some friends? And although I was very young, I told him two things. I told him in order to get a friend, you have to be a friend. Be ready to be a friend. And also I told him, there's a place in you that you must keep inviolate. You must keep it pristine, clean, so that nobody has the right to curse you or treat you badly. Nobody, no mother, father, no wife, no husband, no, nobody. Because that may be the place you go to when you meet God. You have to have a place with, that you say, stop it. Back up. Not you must you not know. No. Absolutely. And that's one I told you. 25 years ago. Yeah. Say no when it's no. Yeah. Say so. Back it up. Because that place has to remain clean and clear. And that has to be a place within yourself. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. That is the best advice. I know everybody who's watching is going to say when people show you who they are, believe them. That's yes, also very good. It is good now. Yeah. But nothing tops having the place inside That's yourself right. that nobody else nobody has, has a right, right to invade. No. Yeah. And when the, when the person comes with rude language to you or invasive language to you, you have to be able to say, back up. Not me, you don't. I'm, don't you know I'm a child of God? What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Mm, so many good things. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, I guess the greatest advice is to forgive. Mm. I don't anoint it with anything. I mm. just forgive it. But don't we forgive? I've tried to let people know on the show, as you have taught me over the years, that when you forgive somebody, doesn't mean you want to sit down and invite them to your oh, table. No, 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 no. Indeed no. not. Mm-hmm. I just mean I'm finished with you. <laughs> you done. Go away. Yes. Yes, you go away. Now, I don't, I don't say go away and harm somebody else, but I do have to protect myself. I look like a ninny if I ask somebody else to protect me, and I'm not willing to protect myself. Yeah, that's one of the great lessons that you've taught me, too. You've got to be willing to take care of this first. Yes, ma'am. Then you have enough to yes. give to, to yes, other people. Ma'am. Oh, to hear it, not to make it up in my head. I was making up the sound. I thought this is how it would sound. But then to say, um, 
I know what the caged bird feels. Ah me. When the sun is bright on the upland slopes, when the wind blows soft through the springing grass and the river floats like a sheet of glass, when the first bird sings and the first bud opes and the faint perfume from its chalice steals, I know what the caged bird feels. To hear it, my land, Oh, my goodness. And that brought you back? I continued, yes, to speak. And Bailey, Bailey helped a lot. And a year or so later, I went back to California to live with my mother, with our mother. And they, she knew, too, that uh, it was dangerous for me to become silent. That's still so all these years later, 60 odd years later. It is still so. Uh, if, I, if something, if things, if I'm really shaken, I stop speaking. And I then bring myself out. I start, I sing, I speak, I speak loudly and firmly. And recite Poe and Shakespeare and James Weldon Johnson and all and all and do it. Because uh, mutism is like a drug. It's so addictive. You don't have to do anything. So, I wrote a poem for a woman who... Uh, who got on the bus in New York City, and she she used to just laugh. <laughs> the bus stopped, she'd laugh. If it picked up somebody, she'd laugh. If it missed them, I looked at her and I thought, that woman is not laughing. She's simply extending her lips and making a sound. That's that survival apparatus. Laugh when you aren't itch when you don't itch. Mm. So she could keep my people alive. Mm. <laughs> so I wrote a poem for her. I used it with Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem, Mask, and my own poem for old black men. This is it. When I think about myself, I almost laugh myself to death. My life has been one great big joke, a dance that's walked, a song that spoke. I laugh so hard, I nearly choke when I think about myself. See, 70 years in these folks' world, the child I works for, calls me girl and I say yes ma'am for working sake I'm too proud to bend too poor to break I laugh so hard my stomach ache when I think about myself my folks can make me split my side I laugh so hard I nearly died the tales they tell sound just like lying they grow the fruit beneath them I laugh so hard I start to cry when I think about myself and the little children. But then we wear the mask. They grins and lies. It shades our chest, our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts, we smile. And mouths 
myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see why we wear the mask. We smile, but oh my God, our tears to thee from tortured souls arise. And we sing, but oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world think otherwise. We wear the mask. My fathers sit on benches. Their flesh count every plank. The slats leave dents of darkness deep in their withered flank, and they nod like broken candles, all waxed and burnt profound. They say, but sugar, it was our submission that made your world go round. They laughed to shield their crying. They shuffled their dreams. They stepped and fetched a country and wrote the blues in screams. I understand their meaning. It could and did derive from living on the ledge of death. They kept my race alive by wearing the mask. <laughs> wearing the mask? <laughs> wearing the... <laughs> That's my people. That's my people. What? Look at the people I come from. That's love, kids. It's not indulgence. It's not sentimentality. It's not mush. That's love. Yes, ma'am. Shariba. <laughs> Doctor, I'm just overwhelmed. We both heard uh, Mr. Joel Osteen talking about people and how we do each other. And what was your interpretation of that, Doctor? Well, it's true. We uh, sometimes think we can be better than another person. The truth is... No human being can be more human than another human being. <laughs> you can be younger and prettier and finer and richer, but you can't be more human. And to, to try to denigrate, to bring somebody down, why? Why? Each time you do that, you're going down. In order to keep a person down, you got to be down there with him. Yes. So the best say is, uh, I liberate you from my ignorance. <laughs> Bring peace in your heart whenever you go, anywhere. Just decide, I'm taking peace. I'm not going to wait till I get there to make it. You understand? It's my prayer for you, and I thank you for your love. For you on this day, what does Dr. King's dream mean today? What, what, what do you think is the march of significance today? Well, I think that at once I'm delighted that he had the dream. I'm delighted that if he awakened right now, he could also say, ah, some of my dream has come to pass and see that there are African-American families in, in the White House. 
men and, and, and a man and a woman and their children and a grandmother, a black grandmother in the White House. My goodness. <laughs> At the same time, I think he would be disappointed to hear we have not come any farther. And so my, my hope is that the dream, we can awaken from the dream and find that some of the elements of the dream have come to pass. You don't believe that there is true equality yet? Oh, I know there isn't, and you know there isn't, and everybody who hears you knows there isn't. And yet this is what we have to have. The only thing is, Mr. Cooper, people have to develop courage. It is most important of all the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. You can be anything erratically and in front of the microphone, in front of the camera. But to be that thing in your heart, you have to have courage. And so I've, I'm afraid that we are, we are lacking in courage. We think we are afraid. And fear, I'm sorry to say, motivates most of the cruelties in our world. President Obama, in his address today, talks about opening a new front in the civil rights movement, one that also pulls in the struggle for equal rights for, for gay and lesbian Americans, uh, for, for, for women in this yeah. country, the rights of other minorities like immigrants. Do you see that movement for equality as part of the civil rights movement? Yes, sir. Mr. Cooper, if, if, you, don't, if you think that I can have freedom, but you can't because you're short, or you're tall, or you're gay, or fat, or thin, or pretty, or plain. But I can have it because not by anything I've earned. I just was born white, or I was born pretty. And then you're just stupid. The truth is, no one of us can be free until everybody is free. And every one of us needs to say to our children, children, this is your world. Come, come out. Stand out. Earn it. What was Dr. King like? I mean, you were a friend of his. You spent uh, a lot of time with his. You <laughs> Thank had conversations you for that. With him. What, what was he like? <laughs> Thank you for that. A friend of mine just asked me, have you ever been asked this question? No one asked, and you have just asked me. Dr. King, Malcolm, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King were, were brothers. They had incredible senses of humor. They could make you laugh in the worst of times. And they did so. And, you know, I never trust people who don't laugh, who said, I'm serious, and act as if they put airplane glue on the back of their hands and stuck it to their forehead. <laughs> I think you're not serious. You're boring as hell. But you're <laughs> if you're serious, you really understand that it's important that you laugh as much as possible. You asked questions in a Time Magazine article recently that you authored, and, and questions that I want to ask you. You, you wrote... Can you imagine if we did not have this undergirded hate and racism, prejudices and sexism and ageism, if we were not crippled by these idiocies, can you imagine what our country would be like? How, do you, how, how can you answer those questions? Can you imagine? I, I'm, yes, I, I'm, I'm brought to weep when I think what my country can be and will be when we develop enough courage to act courageously and with courtesy and respect for each other. Just imagine what on earth we, we wouldn't have to say we're the most powerful country in the world. We will be the most powerful country in the world. Not because we have might, but because we have right.
Okay. You are live back on WBNC Radio. This is uh, The Real Report. I do have a co-host, author, and poet, spoken word artist, Toy Honey, and Mr. Dion Ballard. If you are just tuning in, everybody, um, for those who are listening online, please call in 347-857-4487. So, um, so, guys, what did you guys think about... Um, all those excerpts we played from her speaking on Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and um, also her. I'm going to actually play in a little bit at the beginning of the Dion's poem. Um, she did uh, the inauguration back in, I believe, 93 for Bill Clinton. But isn't it amazing? Um, um, what do you guys think about her thoughts on those? Oh, wow. Uh... I was uh, writing a piece today that I have not finished. Uh, it's the second piece that I've written a tribute to her, saying to myself, I understand that um, she was close to them. She interacted with them and Malcolm X and Rosa Parks because, I mean, I know this because I read her book, The Heart of a Woman, and she had some of that in there. And I asked myself, like, wow, what was it like? To interact with these two great leaders and hearing her say that, I'm like, wow. Well, I I, I, I believe her when she said Malcolm X had a great sense of humor because if you listen to his speeches, in between every line, he had a joke for you or something that would make you laugh a little bit. And Dr. King, I, I, I would have to say the same thing. Even though he was, like, very serious and very much about um, nonviolence, I don't doubt that Dr. King didn't have a good sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. I feel the same. Because um, even Miss uh, Dr. Meyer is, well, she had a sense of humor herself. So it's kind of hard not to be around someone who has a sense of humor and who's funny, for you not to act the same way. So I do believe that they all did I think that it's amazing that she was able to, like you said, to actually be around the great ones like that. And she was great herself, so to be around great ones, I think that that was very much amazing. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts? I tell you, uh, it was just amazing. And to hear, you know, I mean, those three icons, basically, of humanity and, and, you know, with her, with art, but also, you know, she was a, a human activist herself, a civil rights activist. And um, it's just amazing, and it shows you that birds of a feather flock together, you know, and her life, you know, of who she was was just like American heirloom, you know, and uh, when she went away from us, we, we lost we lost something. We lost something great indeed, um, you know. And I know, you know, it's like, you know, her stuff that she shared with us on this earth while she was here was great. But you always wonder if she was living, what would she give, you know, in the present time, you know, if she would have lived like 10 more years, you know. Because, you know, even when she was talking, she was saying about how, you know, she, she's in root. And, and that's still, and it's still sticking with me, like she's in root. I mean, that she's 
all the wisdom and knowledge that she has and her artistry that made words form images in each of our minds, she's in root. She hasn't reached her surface. So what it says about me as an artist or, you know, everyone else that's out there doing, you know, what she's trying to, what, what, what you know, what she had done, you know, we're trying to do what she had done or we're trying to be that uh, of relevance to, to the world and to share our gifts. And, you know, it's just amazing. And you know what? And just like you said, she was a great woman, and, and she expressed that. And with her talking to Martin Luther, Malcolm, great men of um, artology, you know, being able to speak and, and write speeches, and her being able to write and, and to perform poetry and, and write books and stuff, is I just couldn't even imagine just being a fly on the wall, just listening to those three. You know, it, just, it brings you know, yeah. tears in my heart. Yeah. So that's what I, yeah. I, I would think about. I, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the show. I'm, I'm kind of laid back, <laughs> but I believe me, I'm enjoying the show. It just makes me very reminiscent, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I think, think we all are. Um... I know people, I just want to say also to everybody, it used to be me being a little more hyper, and and um, I'm sure those who listen to Dion's show, Spoke of Revelation on Sunday, it used to him speaking a lot more as well. And then for Ms. Tohani, who is an author and a poet, you have her speaking a lot more, but I hope you guys understand, who those who are listening to us, that um, we all are, are taking this very hard. So I do yeah. thank everybody for your patience and, yes. and you know, the world is taking its heart. It's not just us, it's the whole entire world. Yeah. So we're all in listening to her. I, when I was uploading music, uh, uploading her poems, there are so many people who have recited her poems and, and, and did their own version, so to say, of, of her material. And I, I didn't want that. I wanted her reciting her own work. So when I was uploading stuff, I was, like, looking for, the, you know, um, the Black Pearl CD. That's something, our album, spoken word album, that's something that we were going to upload and just play all that. But then I was like, well, let's get some stuff from her interviews and, and this and that. Um, the show, show her many lights. Show the funny side of her, the 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 very mm-hmm. wide side of her, you know, so many different um, levels of light. So... Uh, so everybody, I just want to thank y'all for being patient with us and um, listening in. Remember, you can press one if you want to actually speak. And we would encourage our all spoken word artists and poets, or not just that, anyone. If, if Dr. Martin Angel has inspired you in any way, we encourage you to call in. And if you're already on and she, and she inspires you, we encourage you to press option one so that we can put you on and hear your story and, and your thoughts. Remember, the recording is going to be sent over to the family. So we encourage everybody to call in uh, 347-857-4487 and press option one. Um, or if you have anything you want to say but you're not able to call in, you can just tweet us. That's at Dion Ballard or at Toy Honey or at Tammy underscore Baby or hashtag The Real Report. And hashtag RRT, my angels. And uh, we definitely can speak on your behalf. 
any poems or any sayings or quotes or anything that you want out there for the family to know, we definitely uh, can do that for you. So, Deanna, if you could read us your second poem you have. Okay. Um, the second poem is entitled, My Excuse. Leaves fall down in the autumn. Our life is seasonal, but her gifted words ends to our soul, making her our badge of honor. In any type of weather, her abstract words passages revealed metaphorically why the cage bird sings. Literary remnants of hurt, she told a story that lies so deep in a well that streams so soulfully in her luster ink. For us to drink mental digestion, words configured for the ones who need it the most could speak, a voice to be aware, confident self-conversations, truth motivation to heal, never to scare, a body of work to share, truly a black pearl in a clam bait world, poetry favorites girl that changed into our phenomenal woman. Her present was her presence, writing words for humanity, making the world so much better. We were truly gifted. In peace. Oh, that is so beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my, rock these tears. Oh. I'm I'm sorry, you guys. You hear the stuff outside. I'm sitting outside, trying to get air while I'm trying to do the show. So, um, but um, that was beautiful. Uh, are you going to be posting that later on for everybody to see? Um, yeah. More for making sure to see it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll be posting it. I just want to um say it. I want to recite it here first because to commemorate her on the show. But I will be posting it on the Facebook and on the site as well. I'll give it to you so you can post it up there too. Okay. Great, great, great. Um that was by Dion Ballard, everybody. Uh I see so many people who are on the lines right now. Um, there's so many callers on, but you have to press one for me to put you on, guys. Um, if you're just listening, that's just fine as well. But we encourage you to also speak up and and show your love and support, and um, just let us know how she affected your life and 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 your thoughts on her. So we do encourage you to press one. There's a couple of you guys. There's about 30 or 40 of you people calling in. The lines are going off right now, which is a great thing, but I, I need you guys to press one in order for us to put you on. Um, okay, so I'm going to, well, Dion, do you have any other words right now? If not, I'm going to play a couple more of her interviews and a couple more of her poetry. Um, it's it's great. Um, uh, not right, not right now. Afterwards, I I probably have to say some more stuff. I see some more stuff, but yeah. Okay. And so, do you have anything? Okay. Um, um, do you have anything right now? I did have a piece that she wrote. I wanted to read. Oh yeah. So you can go ahead. You want to do it right now? Do you want to? Come on after this break. I can do it after the break. Okay, not a problem. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, Miss Toy Honey, um, author and poet, spoken word artist, is going to be doing another piece that Dr. Maya Angelou actually wrote herself. So if you're listening online, be sure to call in 347-857-4047 and press option 1. For all those who are listening after this break, make sure or you can press option 1 right now, and we'll get you on right after the break and right after Mrs. Toy Honey's uh, 
poem that she's going to, well, Dr. Molly Andrews' poem that this Tohani is going to recite. So we'll be back right after this break. Mr. President and Mrs. Clinton, Mr. Vice President and Mrs. Gore, and Americans everywhere, a rock, a river, a tree, hosts to species long since departed, marked the mastodon, the dinosaur, who left dry tokens of their sojourn here on our planet floor. Any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages. But today, the rock cries out to us clearly, forcefully, come, you may stand upon my back and face your distant destiny but seek no haven in my shadow. I will give you no hiding place down here. You, created only a little lower than the angels, have crouched too long in the bruising darkness, have lain too long face down in ignorance, your mouths spilling words armed for slaughter. The rock cries out to us today, you may stand upon me, but do not hide your face. Across the wall of the world, a river sings a beautiful song. It says, come, rest here by my side. Each of you, a bordered country, delicate and strangely made, proud, yet thrusting perpetually under siege. Your armed struggles for profit have left collars of waste upon my shore currents of debris upon my breast. Yet today, I call you to my riverside, if you will study war no more. Come, clad in peace, and I will sing the songs the Creator gave to me when I and the tree and the rock were one, before cynicism was a bloody seer across your brow, and when you yet knew you still knew nothing. The river sang and sings on. There is a true yearning to respond to the singing river and the wise rock. So say the Asian, the Hispanic, the Jew, the African, the Native American, the Sioux, the Catholic, the Muslim, the French, the Greek, the Irish, the rabbi, the priest, the sheik, the gay, the straight, the preacher, the privileged, the homeless, the teacher, they all hear the speaking of the tree. They hear the first and last of every tree speak to humankind today. Come to me here beside the river. Plant yourself beside the river. Each of you, descendant of some past on traveler, has been paid for. You who gave me my first name. You, Pawnee, Apache, Seneca. You, Cherokee Nation, who rested with me then forced on bloody feet, left me to the employment of other seekers, desperate for gain, starving for gold. You, the Turk, the Arab, the Swede, the German, the Eskimo, the Scots. You, the Ashanti, the Yoruba, the Kru, 
bought, sold, stolen, arriving on a nightmare, praying for a dream. Here, root yourselves beside me. I am that tree planted by the river which will not be moved. I the rock, I the river, I the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Lift up your faces. You have a piercing need for this bright morning dawning for you. History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived. But if faced with courage, need not be lived again. Lift up your eyes upon this day breaking for you. Give birth again to the dream. Women, children, men, take it into the palms of your hands. Mold it into the shape of your most private need. Sculpt it into the image of your most public self. Lift up your heart. Each new hour holds new chances for new beginnings. Do not be wedded forever to fear, yoked eternally to brutishness. The horizon leans forward, offering you space to place new steps of change. Here, on the pulse of this fine day, you may have the courage to look up and out and upon me, the rock, the river, the tree, your country. No less to Midas than the mendicant, no less to you now than the mastodon then. Here, on the pulse of this new day, you may have the grace to look up and out and into your sister's eyes and into your brother's face, your country, and say simply, very simply, with hope, good morning. That was just um, the inauguration speech that she had gave at uh, a poem, sorry, that she had gave at uh, Bill Clinton's um, inauguration back in, I believe that's 2003, right? In our, I don't even remember the year, 93? No, 2000, yeah, it was 1993, yeah. right? Okay, I was about to say 2003, 93, I knew it was three, so yeah, that yeah, was very beautiful and very powerful as well. Yeah, very, okay. very powerful. So, Toy, uh, yeah, so Toy, we're going to let you um, region, uh, recite one of Dr. Maya Angelou's poems. Okay. Um, this poem I'm going to do, written by her, is called Men. When I was young, I used to watch behind the curtains as men walked up and down the street. Why no man? Old men, young men sharp as mustard. See them? Men are always going somewhere. They knew I was there, 15 years old, and starving for them. Under my window, they will pause, the shoulders high like breasts of a young girl, jacket tail slapping over those behind men. One day they hold you in the palms of their hands, gentle, as if you were the last raw egg in the world. Then they tighten up just a little. First squeeze is nice. 
a quick hug, soft into your defenselessness. A little more, the hurt begins. Wrench out a smile that flies around that the fear when the air disappears. Your mind pops, exploding fiercely, briefly, like the head of a kitchen match, shattered. It is your juice that run down your, their legs, staining their shoes when the earth writes itself again and taste tries to return to the tongue. Your body has slammed shut forever. No keys exist. Then the window draws full upon your mind. There, just beyond the sway of curtains, men walk. Knowing something, going someplace, but this time I will simply stand and watch, maybe, and pawn. Such strong words. She always has such power in her words. I mean, it's just me, but like every word, it just holds so much weight. Yeah. Like, I don't know. She's just a remarkable woman. She's very remarkable. God one of God's gifts to uh, Earth. But um, so Dion and Toya, I'm gonna let you guys. If you have anything else you want to say right now before we take a another break, um, we have about 50 minutes left in the show. The next break we're actually gonna be taking. Um, I do have part one and two. Um, uh, Doctor Maya and Joel's. Uh, Book. I know a lot of cage bird things. Things. Sorry. So I'm gonna be playing those near about 15 minutes each. So that will be about 30 minutes all together. So do you guys have any break? Um, break. Do you have anything else you want to say before we take that break? Um, I wanted to reflect on um a scene in the movie that I seen her in in uh, Poetic Justice. Um, do you remember when she was sitting there with the two other women? that played her sisters, when she said she wanted to talk to them about morals, I have to say I wish, I wish I could hear exactly what she said in these days before she passed, if she actually seen how young people carry themselves. I I could just sit here and just question, what would Dr. Maya Angelou say about how the young men of this generation carry themselves, about how young women of this generation carry themselves. What would she say about the young women feeling like um, being drunk in love, that's really what love is? Or young men feeling like um, sagging pants is still cute and they don't have to pull them up not even if they are looking to get a job. So I just I just mm-hmm. say that to myself now. I wonder what she would have to say about the young generation. I just uh, I don't have to agree that's a great question. Um I wonder when I first heard this and and so many thoughts, you know, flashed through your head like this time ago, it's like a whole bunch of side flashes for you. Um that was actually one of my questions that I said I, I wish I could have had it because I actually had contacted her uh, 
people, and well, she was going to be on our show. Well, not my show. She was going to be on uh, Dion's show in July. Um, so that was one of the things I was, like, hoping that, you know, I could talk to her or be a caller to call in and ask her, what do you honestly think is going on in the world now? Like, are you surprised that the world is is continuing to do like this? And do you think it's ever going to get any better? Like, I wanted to know her thoughts on a lot of things that's happening, from the violence that's going on to the, how young men and women are carrying themselves, just to hear how she is such a deep person that I was curious of how she is viewing the world now. Like, what was her thoughts on it? That was going to be one of my questions to her. But, um, yeah, it's such a, it's such a tragic thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I tell you, Miss uh, Miss uh, Angela was like this amazing person. It, it was like, you know, just to hear it speak. You know, I, I've seen, I've heard a lot of people. You know, um, you know, deep people, as you would say. But it seemed like everything she said, not only just her art, but everything she would say, it was just uh, synonymous to everything in life. Um, she was just so. Uh, Metaphoric and what she she said, and and it just sticks to you, you know, and um and I I want to say about what you were saying about her in the movie, you know, um when she played you know back in the day when she played in Roots, it showed you that she was there for the cause, you know, um you know and and she, you know she was playing um uh, a matriarch in the African tribe, you know. And and I, I look at it now, like, you know, that was like, I don't know, probably 20-something years ago, probably even longer, and that's what she was. She was like a, a Zulu tribe woman, you know, because in, in, in those days, you know, women ruled the tribes, you know, and she was like that, you know, and people listened to what she had to say. It didn't matter if she was a, a woman. It mattered that she was relevant and she had wisdom, and we need to get back to that. If someone is saying something, no matter the creed, sexual orientation, if it's wisdom, then you know we have to get back to that. And that's what Maya and I have to reflect on that. What Maya stood for, and one of the uh, things that stuck out in my mind about her and her uh, wonderful gift. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm just taking it back. Um, still so hard to take it in, but um, all right. So we're gonna take a break. Uh, right now. Um, I played a part one and two of um. I know what a cage bird sings, and then we'll come back on and uh, hear some more uh, Mrs. Toy Honey's thoughts and more of Mr. Dion Ballard's thoughts. And if you are listening online, you can call 347-857-4487 and press option one to join us and, and give us your thoughts and your feelings. Um, if you are online right now listening, because I, I do appreciate everybody who's tuning in right now, we do encourage you to press one to give us your thoughts and tell us how you feel. I, I see a few of you that are on listening right now. 
Um, and my Twitter is going off the chain. Everybody gets retweeting and this and that. Um, I just encourage you guys to actually come on and speak and tell us your thoughts, how she um, inspired you, your stories, um, you know, in, in reference to Dr. Meyer and Joel. So we're going to get into this right now. This is I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. When I was three and Bailey four, we had arrived in the musty little town wearing tags on our wrists which instructed, to whom it may concern, that we were Marguerite and Bailey Johnson, Jr. from Long Beach, California, en route to Stamps, Arkansas, care of Mrs. Annie Henderson. Our parents had decided to put an end to their calamitous marriage, and father had shipped us home to his mother, A porter had been charged with our welfare. He got off the train the next day in Arizona, and our tickets were pinned to my brother's inside coat pocket. I don't remember much of the trip, but after we reached the segregated southern part of the journey, things must have looked up. Negro passengers, who always traveled with loaded lunchboxes, felt sorry for the poor little motherless darlings and plied us with cold fried chicken and potato salad. Years later, I discovered that the United States had been crossed thousands of times by frightened black children traveling alone to their newly affluent parents in northern cities or back to grandmothers in southern towns when the urban north reneged on its economic promises. The town reacted to us as its inhabitants had reacted to all things new before our coming. It regarded us a while, without curiosity, but with caution, and after we were seen to be harmless and children, it closed in around us as a real mother embraces a stranger's child, warmly, but not too familiarly. We lived with our grandmother and uncle in the rear of the store. It was always spoken of with a capital S, which she had owned some 25 years. Early in the century, Mama, We soon stopped calling her grandmother, sold lunches to the sawmen in the lumberyard, East Stamps, and the seed men at the cotton gin, West Stamps. Her crisp meat pies and cool lemonade, when joined to her miraculous ability to be in two places at the same time, assured her business success. From being a mobile lunch counter, she set up a stand between the two points of fiscal interest and supplied the workers' needs for a few years. Then she had the store built in the heart of the Negro area. Over the years, it became the lay center of activities in town. On Saturdays, barbers sat their customers in the shade on the porch of the store, and troubadours on their ceaseless crawlings throughout the South leaned across its benches and sang their sad songs of the Brazos while they played juice harps and cigar box guitars. During the picking season, my grandmother would get out of bed at 4 o'clock, she never used an alarm clock, and creak down to her knees and chant in a sleep-filled voice, Our Father, thank you for letting me see this new day. Thank you that you didn't allow the bed I lay on last night to be my cooling board, nor my blanket, my winding sheet. 
guide my feet this day along the straight and narrow, and help me to put a bridle on my tongue. Bless this house and everybody in it. Thank you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Before she had quite risen, she called our names and issued orders and pushed her large feet into homemade slippers and crossed the bare, lye-washed wooden floor to light the coal oil lamp. The lamplight in the store gave a soft, make-believe feeling to our world, which made me want to whisper and walk about on tiptoe. The odors of onions and oranges and kerosene had been mixing all night and wouldn't be disturbed until the wooden slat was removed from the door and the early morning air forced its way in with the bodies of people who had walked miles to reach the pickup place. Sister, I'll have two cans of sardines. I'm going to work so fast today, I'm going to make you look like you're standing still. Let me have a hunk of cheese and some soda crackers. Just give me a couple of them fat peanut patties. That would be from a picker who was taking his lunch. The greasy brown paper sack was stuck behind the bib of his overalls. He'd used the candy as a snack before the noon sun called the workers to rest. In those tender mornings, the store was full of laughing, joking, boasting, and bragging. One man was going to pick 200 pounds of cotton and another 300. Even the children were promising to bring home four bits and six bits. The champion picker of the day before was the hero of the dawn. If he prophesied that the cotton in today's field was going to be sparse and stick to the bowls like glue, every listener would grunt a hearty agreement. The sound of the empty cotton sacks dragging over the floor and the murmur of waking people were sliced by the cash register as we rang up the five-cent sales. If the morning sounds and smells were touched with the supernatural, the late afternoon had all the features of the normal Arkansas life. In the dying sunlight, the people dragged, rather than their empty cotton sacks. Brought back to the store, the pickers would step out of the backs of trucks and fold down dirt disappointed to the ground. No matter how much they had picked, it wasn't enough. Their wages wouldn't even get them out of debt to my grandmother, not to mention the staggering bill that waited on them at the white commissary downtown. The sounds of the new morning had been replaced with grumbles about cheating houses, weighted scales, snakes, skimpy cotton, and dusty rows. In later years, I was to confront the stereotyped picture of gay song-singing cotton pickers with such inordinate rage that I was told even by fellow blacks that my paranoia was embarrassing. But I had seen the fingers cut by the mean little cotton bowls, and I had witnessed the backs and shoulders and arms and legs resisting any further demands. When Bailey was six and I a year younger, we used to rattle off the times tables with the speed I was later to see Chinese children in San Francisco employ on their abacuses. Our summer gray pot-bellied stove bloomed rosy red during winter and became a severe disciplinarian threat if we were so foolish as to indulge in making mistakes. Uncle Willie used to sit like a giant black Z. He had been crippled as a child. And hear us testify to the Lafayette County Training School's abilities. His face pulled down on the left side, 
as if a pulley had been attached to his lower teeth, and his left hand was only a mite bigger than Bailey's. But on the second mistake, or on the third hesitation, his big overgrown right hand would catch one of us behind the collar and in the same moment would thrust the culprit toward the dull red heater which throbbed like a devil's toothache. We were never burned, although once I might have been, when I was so terrified I tried to jump onto the stove to remove the possibility of its remaining a threat. Like most children, I thought if I could face the worst danger voluntarily and triumph, I would forever have power over it. But in my case of sacrificial effort, I was thwarted. Uncle Willie held tight to my dress, and I only got close enough to smell the clean, dry scent of hot iron. We learned the times tables without understanding their grand principle, simply because we had the capacity and no alternatives. The tragedy of lameness seems so unfair to children that they are embarrassed in its presence, and they, most recently off nature's mold, sense that they have only narrowly missed being another of her jokes. In relief at the narrow escape, they vent their emotions in impatience and criticism of the unlucky cripple. Mama related times without end and without any show of emotion, how Uncle Willie had been dropped when he was three years old by a woman who was minding him. She seemed to hold no rancor against the babysitter, nor for her just God who had allowed the accident. She felt it necessary to explain over and over again to those who knew the story by heart that he wasn't born that way. In our society, where two-legged, two-armed, strong black men were able at best to eke out the necessities of life, Uncle Willie, with his starched shirts, shined shoes, and shelves full of food, was the whipping boy and butt of jokes of the underemployed and underpaid. Fate not only disabled him, but laid a double-tiered barrier in his path. He was also proud and sensitive. Therefore, he couldn't pretend that he wasn't crippled, nor could he deceive himself that people were not repelled by his defect. Bailey was the greatest person in my world, and the fact that he was my brother, my only brother, and I had no sisters to share him with, was such good fortune that it made me want to live a Christian life just to show God that I was grateful. Where I was big, elbowy, and grating, he was small, graceful, and smooth. When I was described by our playmates as being shit-colored, he was lauded for his velvet black skin. His hair fell down in black curls, and my head was covered with black steel wool, and yet he loved me. When our elders said unkind things about my features, my family was handsome to a point of pain for me. Bailey would wink at me from across the room, and I knew that it was a matter of time before he would take revenge. He would allow the old ladies to finish wondering how on earth I came about. Then he would ask in a voice like cooling bacon grease, Oh, Mrs. Coleman, how is your son? I saw him the other day, and he looked sick enough to die. Aghast, the ladies would ask, Die? From what? He ain't sick. And in a voice oilier than the one before, he'd answer with a straight face, from the uglies.
I would hold my laugh, bite my tongue, grit my teeth, and very seriously erase even the touch of a smile from my face. Later, behind the house, by the black walnut tree, we'd laugh and laugh and howl. Bailey could count on very few punishments for his consistently outrageous behavior, for he was the pride of the Henderson-Johnson family. His movements, as he was later to describe those of an acquaintance, were activated with oiled precision. He was also able to find more hours in the day than I thought existed. He finished chores, homework, read more books than I, and played the group games on the side of the hill with the best of them. He could even pray out loud in church and was apt at stealing pickles from the barrel that sat under the fruit counter and under Uncle Willie's nose. Once, when the store was full of lunchtime customers, he dipped the strainer, which we also used to sift weevils from meal and flour, into the barrel and fished for two fat pickles. He caught them and hooked the strainer onto the side of the barrel where they dripped until he was ready for them. When the last school bell rang, he picked the nearly dry pickles out of the strainer, jammed them into his pockets, and threw the strainer behind the oranges. We ran out of the store. It was summer, and his pants were short, so the pickle juice made clean streams down his ashy legs, and he jumped with his pockets full of loot and his eyes laughing a, how about that? He smelled like a vinegar barrel or a sour angel. After our early chores were done, while Uncle Willie or Mama minded the store, we were free to play the children's games as long as we stayed within yelling distance. Playing hide-and-seek, his voice was easily identified, singing, Last night, night before, 24 robbers at my door, who all is here? Ask me to let them in, hit them in the head with a rolling pin, who all is hid? In Follow the Leader, naturally, he was the one who created the most daring and interesting things to do. And when he was on the tail of Pop the Whip, he would twirl off the end like a top, spinning, falling, laughing, finally stopping just before my heart beat its last. And then he was back in the game, still laughing. Of all the needs, there are none imaginary. A lonely child has, the one that must be satisfied, if there's going to be hope and a hope of wholeness, is the unshaking need for an unshakable God. My pretty black brother was my kingdom. Some families of poor white trash lived on Mama's farmland behind the school. Sometimes a gaggle of them came to the store, filling the whole room, chasing out the air, and even changing the well-known scent. The children crawled over the shelves and into the potato and onion bins, twanging all the time in their sharp voices like cigar box guitar music. They took liberties in my store that I would never dare. Since Mama told us that the less you say to white folks, or even poor white trash, the better, Bailey and I would stand, solemn, quiet, in the displaced air, but if one of the playful apparitions got close to us, I pinched it, partly out of angry frustration and partly because I didn't believe in its flesh reality. They called my uncle by his first name and ordered him around the store. Okay, you are back live on WBMC Radio. You are just joining us. <clears throat> this is a dedication show to Ms. 
I'm sorry, Dr. Maya Angelou. Um, I do have Toy Honey, an author, poet, spoken word artist, and Mr. Dion Ballard, the host of Spoken Revelations, and author and poet as well on <clears throat> with us. That was part one of I Know Why the Cage Bird Sing. I do have actually someone I'm going to put on. Uh, we encourage everybody to read your poetry um, your poems that you've written for Dr. Maya Angelou or anything you want to recite of hers or anything of that nature, we do encourage you guys to come on because this recording is going to be sent over to the family. Um, they asked us to, to send over the dedication show to them. So we are going to be doing that. So I, I do ask uh, everybody to call in 347-857-4487. And we actually have a caller on. I'm going to put him on now, right? Actually, um, I believe this is Mr. Fred Brown. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I did ask you to call uh, call in um, because you wrote a remarkable, beautiful poem for Dr. Manuel, and I was asking if you could recite that for us. Uh, sure. Um, you ready? Yes. Okay, I just titled this uh, Maya Angelou, The Chosen Poet. Because of you, I know why the caged bird sings. Because I was once caged, but your poetic glory and wisdom through your beautiful and anointed words helped me to spread my poetic wings. You've also helped countless women to know they were phenomenal. Though many people have been beaten down with trial after trial and tribulations and a slew of lies. Deep down inside, many had a war cry with still I rise. From the civil rights era until now, your poetic prowess has blessed many. Though this isn't a goodbye, as you have parted ways with the earth, this is more of like, and you rest peacefully until the great day of the resurrection. For you have eternal life. We were blessed to have you amongst us with your poetic genius. You are loved tremendously and will be missed amongst the beloved. Thank you for blazing a path, not only for me, but for other poets and for their voices to be heard. For your words have transcended beyond many people and ethnic barriers. May you rest peacefully and may God bring comfort to your family. In peace. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I want to thank you for coming on for short notice and actually reading, reciting that for us. Um, There's such words of wisdom in there as well. So if you tell us how, and I think your poem summarizes as well, but what effect did Dr. Martin have on you? And what does she bring to you? What comes to mind when you think of her? Um, just, I see a woman who's... Um you know, overcome a lot of adversity as I have overcome a lot of adversity in my life. And just the fact that, you know, uh, just with words, just, you know, she's able to impact a lot of, she was able to impact a lot of people with words. And I've been told that my poetry does the same thing, but just her legacy and just, you know, her humbleness and just her, you know, she's like what they would call like a quiet strength. That's where I, I would look at her as. So, um, you know, I love her poetry, but like I said, this her as a person is even more remarkable. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, yes. Okay. Um, Toy Dion, do you guys have anything you want to say to him before I let him go? Um, yeah, um, how you doing, Fred? Um, that was a remarkable poem. And, Thank um, you. I, and, and I like how um, you brought it, like, uh, a visual uh, perception, like, mentally, where um, the, the different facets of life and facets within their life not only her being a, a poet, but more artist and author, but her having a, a great voice in our society. So, um, awesome yeah. poem. Awesome, Paul. Great, right? And I and I thank you for coming out and, and helping us with the tribute. Well, thank you for having me on that short notice. I, I, you know, if I get a chance to share, I don't mind sharing. So thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. Um, Toya, do you have anything you want to say before you let him go? Because I know he's a very busy man. Uh, uh first, uh, hi, Fred. Um, that was a great piece. Um, thank, thank you. Wow. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, so much I want to say, but it's kind of hard for me to let it out right now because it's like it's um, frozen. Yeah. And it's like I need something to just, you know, help me get it out. Absolutely. Well, Fred, I want to let you go. Um, I want to thank you for coming on Shark Novice again and reading that remarkable poem dedicated to Dr. Meyer Angelou. And, um, Thank you for having uh, me. I'm sure yeah, very much. I'm sure the family is going to love it very much all the same. That was Fred Brown, everybody. Um, his poem, to check out his work, is on his Facebook page, which is Fred Brown. Um, we will post a link up to his page later on today so that you can go and actually read it for yourself. Um, that is entitled uh, My Angelo the Chosen Poet. Um, and it's like you said, it's, she's a remarkable woman, and she uh, impacted so many lives. But um, before we close out, we got about 25 left of the show. Um, I know, Toy, you said it, it's hard to get it out, and I'm right there with you. That's why I probably just said um so many times, and and the word likes sometimes because uh, I'm at a loss of words. I'm very speechless, and it still is like I'm still borderline with this. Like it's happened, it hasn't happened. This happened because I'm doing the show on this, so that makes it a little bit more real. Otherwise, I if I wasn't doing the show, I would be like, nah, that didn't happen, and I would just be like, it didn't, you know, it didn't happen. It'd be like it didn't, it didn't exist. It didn't happen at all. Doing a show is what makes it a little bit more real for me. I have to keep reminding myself. Every time we come back from a break, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, I can't believe this happened. Like, I don't know. It's like you said, it's, it's very much frozen. Um, but I want to thank you guys for hosting the show with me today. And, and we are going to do another uh, show. This was last minute. Um, I just wanted to make sure we did something for her today, the day of um, maybe next week or some other time we're going to plan something and we are definitely going to do a bigger and more, uh, I'm not going to say better because um, this was amazing as it was, but uh, we're definitely going to do something bigger for her sometime later on me and Dion going to get together and plan this um, an event of some sort to, to dedicate to her 
in the family. So, Dion, Toy, do you guys have anything else you want to say before I finish up the show with the rest of her poems? I have about four more poems I want to play. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to say? Well, I was just saying, um, you know, thanks for people that support it. And, uh, and I thank you uh, for um, giving us the idea to do this. It definitely helped me uh, with this um, terrible time at this point. So, thank you. Um, for the show. It helped me heal. Yeah, so I'm glad um, when I play it back, and I want to thank both of you guys, if I haven't already, I do want to thank you guys for helping me through the show, because I was like, how can I, I pull this off? Because I was a, a wreck. So I didn't know if I'd be able to pull it off or not, but um, I do want to thank Dion and Toy for that. <clears throat> helping me pull this off, but um, yeah, it's it's a healing process, and I can't wait till we actually do another show, um, where we have time to actually put something. Yeah, I think we did a remarkable thing today. I think you guys were excellent. Uh, I mean, you guys are already dealing with it yourselves, because I mean, writing is your first passion, so you guys are a little more in-depth with this and, and a little more closer to her than opposed to me where photography is my first passion. So, But it's all the same in art, but it's a different type of art. So, I mean, I definitely looked up to her because writing is like my third passion, but it's not my first one. So, um, you know, but I, I thank you guys for being so brave and, and so... Um, put together enough to do this show. I'll say that because I know that it's tearing you guys up on the inside and as you're listening, because it was tearing me up just to hear her actually recite her poetry and, and her book, um, apart from her book and, and all this stuff and having to keep tweeting RIP, Maya Angelou, and, and, and keep people informed of what we're doing. The more I have to keep tweeting that. It's definitely tearing me up, so I know it's tearing you guys up. And I thank you so much for holding it together and doing the show with me. No problem. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank you. All right. So we're going to get into, um, we got about 20 left in the show. We have uh, a couple of things. I'm just going to announce what we're going to play now because I'm not going to be coming back on. And, and I want to thank everybody who's joined in and listened. I want to thank Fred Brown for coming on last moment um, and reciting his poem. Uh, for Dr. Maya Angelou um, and everybody who's listened and tuned in. Um, We have a couple of things we're going to play here. Um, The first one you're going to hear is called Rainbow in the Clouds, and she recites her poem, and she speaks on on this a little bit and then recites the poem. And then next is Life Doesn't Frighten Me, and she speaks on that and recites the poem. And then after that, we have a tribute that was done, I'm not sure the year it was done, but it was on the award show. Um, it's Queen Latifah, Willow Smith. Um, I lost her I lost her name. I see her face. She's a singer. I just can't get her name out. When you guys hear it, you know who I'm talking about. And um, and Cicely, I forgot her last name. The actress Cicely, I can't remember her last name. I don't know if Dion Toy, you, you remember the names. 
you can chime in anytime. But I forgot the two names. Oh, Jill Scott and and Cicely. I forgot Cicely's last name. But they're going to do a tribute. Um, they did a tribute. I'm sorry. Um, on an award show a few years back. Um, I believe it was like two years ago, or maybe longer. But we're going to play that, and then the very last one will, will be the all-time favorite of everybody um, around the world. We say Phenomenal Woman. Everyone knows what that is. So we're going to play that one last. So I want to thank everybody. This is the WBMC Radio. This is The Real Report. I'm your host, Tazy. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. And you can send me still. Everything you send me, I, I can post it up on our website. Um, any poems that you wrote for her or any pictures or anything you have in remembrance to Dr. Mara Angel, um, definitely send it over to me. My Instagram and Twitter is Tavy underscore baby. Or you can send it to Toy Honey or either Dion Ballard. Both of them are on Twitter as well. That's the names on Twitter as well. Um, or you can uh, hashtag the real report or hashtag Boker Revelations, and we'll be able to see it as well. And, um, yeah, so this has been a very tough time, and I want to thank everybody for listening and, and bearing with us. Um, we have had quite a hard time trying to do the show, but we, we were able to get through it. We I, I believe we all helped each other um, get through it, because as you hear, it was difficult for me, it was difficult for Dion, it was difficult for Toy. So we all helped each other, so that was a great thing, you know. Yeah, and brought us some interesting points. We will let you guys know and keep you informed when we're actually going to have another show that will be bigger than this one and um, probably for a lot longer. We're going to have an event, hopefully, and it will be live. So you can be able to come down to the event. It will be on the radio and everything. Hopefully we're going to plan and get that together in honor and remembrance of Dr. Maya Angelou. So I just want to say rest in peace. My angel is an angel. Uh, God calls you back home, but none of us belong here. Uh, we all have to go back home to our father. Eventually, he puts us here to do a job, and you did beyond an amazing job and beyond your work, I believe. So he said it's time for you to come rest now. So um, you rest in paradise and continue to watch over everybody and shed your wisdom. Your legacy will live on. I mean, thank you for all that you've done. And uh, your children and your grandchildren, thank you to Shane and the family, friends, everybody, WBMC Radio, and everybody a part of the network and family. We all send our condolences to you guys as well. This is the WBMC Radio. There's an African-American song, 19th century, which um, is so great. It says, when it looked like the sun wasn't going to shine anymore, God put a rainbow in the clouds. Imagine. And I've had so many rainbows in my clouds. I had a lot of clouds. But I have had so many rainbows. And one of the things I do when I step up on a stage, when I stand up to translate, when I go to teach my classes, when I go to direct a movie, I bring everyone who has ever been kind to me with me. Black, white, Asian, Spanish-speaking, Native American, gay, straight, everybody. I say, come with me. 
I'm going on the stage. Come with me. I need you now. Long dead. You see? So I don't ever feel I have no help. I've had rainbows in my clouds. And the thing to do, it seems to me, is to prepare yourself so that you can be a rainbow in somebody else's cloud. Somebody who may not look like you, may not call God the same name you call God, if they call God at all, you see? And may not eat the same dishes prepared the way you do, may not dance your dances or speak your language, but be a blessing to somebody. That's what I think. Life doesn't frighten me. I wrote this poem for all children who whistle in the dark and who refuse to admit that they are frightened out of their wits. Shadows on the wall, noises down the halls. Life doesn't frighten me at all. Bad dogs barking loud, big ghosts in a cloud. That doesn't frighten me at all. Mean old mother goose, lions on the loose, they don't frighten me at all. Dragons breathing flame on my counterpane, that doesn't frighten me at all. I go boom, make them shoot. I make fun, way they run. I won't cry, so they fly. I just smile, and they go wild. Life doesn't frighten me at all. Tough guys in a fight, all alone at night. Life doesn't frighten me at all. Panthers in the park, strangers in the dark, no. They don't frighten me at all. That new classroom where boys all pull my hair, they don't frighten me at all. Kissy little girls with their hair in curls, they, they don't frighten me at all. Don't show me frogs and snakes and listen for my screams. If I'm afraid at all, it's only in my dreams. I have got a magic charm that I keep up my sleeve. I can walk the ocean floor and never have to breathe. Life doesn't frighten me at all. Not at all. Not at all. Life doesn't frighten me at all. what she really knows to be true. I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. When you learn, teach. When you get, give.
You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides. Just like hopes springing high, still I'll rise. Do you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard? Cause I laugh like I got gold mines digging in my backyard. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? of the heart of history shame I rise up from a past that's rooted in pain I rise I'm a black ocean leaping and wide welling and swelling I bear in the tide leaving behind nights of terror and fear I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear I rise, bring the gift that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Many people wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, and to a man the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist, the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say, it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breast, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. 
I say, it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palms of my hands, the need for my care, because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, all you women, and beat. 